Hello, everybody. Josh Brown here, back for another great episode on Franchise Euphoria. Well, today's episode is brought to you by IndieFranchiseLaw.com, a leading resource in the franchise space to help you if you're considering buying a franchise, turning your business into a franchise, or growing your business through a licensing or franchise structure. So go on, check it out, IndieFranchiseLaw.com. I think you'll find a lot of valuable and free information as you continue to kind of weigh franchising and licensing and the growth of your business. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy today's episode. On today's episode of Franchise Euphoria, I'm thrilled to have on Derek Abelman. Um, Derek is the marketing manager for a company called Northeast Color, and Northeast Color is a business uh, that specializes in providing branded decor and signage solutions to the franchise industry and specifically works with franchisor clients. Founded in 1982 by entrepreneur Jack Hodges, Northeast Color began as the photo company, a little studio offering both commercial and consumer photography services in Southern New Hampshire. And over time, Jack and his wife and business partner Carol grew the studio into a bustling small business that at some point refocused its capabilities on providing large format oriented photographic services to franchises. Today, over, you know, as we flash forward, uh, they're under the leadership of President Jamar, Jamar, I, I hate to butcher that name, I apologize, but Jamar uh, Dykstra, uh, who serves to lead the organization in all of their creative and immersive tactics to help with branded experiences for both established and emerging franchises across the nation. Had the chance to meet Derek uh, back in February at an International Franchise Association event in Florida, and uh, we hit it off there. And I just find him to be a very thoughtful, sincere person. And his background as we get into it, which includes, you know, an HBO documentary and a whole bunch of other interesting little tidbits is equally as interesting as the story about Northeast Color and what they do. And I think it also shines a light on uh, their ability to bring on good people with good backgrounds to serve in the various roles uh, at the company. So really enjoyed this interview with Derek. I think you will too. And uh, without further ado, here's my interview with Derek Abelman. Hello, Derek. Welcome to Franchise Euphoria. How are you doing? Hi, Josh. I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to have you. I mean, we first met at the uh, IFA in Orlando. When was that? That was what? Uh... Ooh, that was several years ago uh, <laughs> in in life in lifetime experience, but uh, in in real time, that was in February. <laughs> in February, because I was in Orlando twice in like a two or three week period, and so I know I was there in March, and this was in February. But it does feel like a long time ago. But it wasn't all that long ago, and of course, a lot of things have changed, and we'll talk all about that and how. Northeast Color is dealing with COVID. But before we do, I always like to start these interviews by having you tell a little bit about yourself, your story, personalize it a little bit, your journey, and how you got involved with Northeast Color. So I have something of a diverse work history. I've been around, I've done a lot of different things. The last 10 years I've been living in New York, and I just recently in the last two years moved up uh, to New Hampshire, which is where Northeast Color is located. I've had a lot of different experiences, predominantly in publishing and in journalism, actually. Uh, so I was a writer for the Architects newspaper and for several other technical publications. 
I also worked as a speed reader for Random House for about four years, uh, where I worked in this little tiny division of five to seven people that just sat in a room and read books as quickly as we could to find errors or, or any mistakes that we Are might. you serious? Yeah, yeah. It was an interesting job. How do you apply? I mean, how do you get that job? I mean, do you have to pass some sort of like test on how a, how quickly you're able to read and comprehend Precisely. what you're reading? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so there were, it ended up, there were a lot of applicants and it shook down to just a few people. And, and we sat in a windowless room and read books off of a computer. Um, yeah, it, it was, it was a unique gig. Uh, and the test certainly was. Yeah, were you just exhausted in, at the end of the day? I mean, I had the craziest dreams, uh, Josh, for like for years because <laughs> Random House, it was all of their different uh, imprints. So Random House, uh, Doubleday, off Broadway books. So on any given day, I could be reading anything from like a romance novel to Russian history. And as fast as I could read it, as quickly as I could, uh, you know, filter it through my brain to catch any errors as the book made its way to uh, to a digital edition. So. All right. All right. Let me, I'm going to put you on the spot on this though. Mm-hmm. What's one of the most obscure things you read and learned about during that time? Cause I gotta be honest, I've done, I've been doing this podcast for seven and a half years, interviewed hundreds of people. Yeah. That is the, the coolest, <laughs> the most intriguing job I've ever heard somebody talk about in yeah. terms of like their resume. Like you literally got paid to sit there and speed read through books. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the, some of the most in- more interesting or, or obscure books that I, I recall reading and it all is kind of a blur at the end of the day. It just is this sort of pinwheeling miasma of different experiences and things that you didn't have. My dreams were nuts. But I would say some of the craziest books that I read, one was a book about uh, just very polemical against uh, the optometry industry. And it was it, this whole, there's a giant book all about how you can heal your eyes. You don't need glasses and a series of exercises. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. It was like somebody really was angry at at, the, at like their optometrist. And so that was the whole book about that. There was a book that was really excited about magnesium. You had to have that in everything. Um, and then another, like I got really into just because, so Random House has a ton of different imprints. So like I've read all of the Star Wars books. I've read all the Game of Thrones books. I've read all of Daniel Steele's novels. I've read, uh, I think I kind of like fell in love with a, uh, a series of romance books set on a Dutch apple farm. That was really sweet. Uh, and it inspired, I think, a desire, like at some point in my life, I would love to write just for fun, um, a formulaic romance story all about carpentry, about like a woman surviving a divorce and and rebuilding her heart by redoing her kitchen, something like that. That's amazing. I mean, so so like... What was the difference you found from speed reading a book like that to just normal? I mean, would you outside of work just typically be home reading a book? I yeah. mean, is that? Did you- yeah, yeah. So I would have an hour commute. I lived in Brooklyn and, and Random House um, was in Midtown. So I would have an hour. So I would also be reading uh, to and from then as well. And you just read slower. Like there are many different styles or different ways people approach speed reading. And, and even within our team, we have different ways going about it. And, and, and my style was just sort of to run my mind over the text, almost like Braille. And you would feel an irregularity um, and it'd be like, oh, wait, what's that? And you would circle back and be like, somebody said something and then no one replied. And then you would double check the PDF and sure enough, an exchange had been lost. So yeah, it was just sort of like letting it flow through you. There was a kind of Zen to it uh, versus when you're really reading and you have that inside voice talking to yourself. It's it's very different. That is wild, man. I, I mean, that is so cool. Um, I love that. I mean, because there's so many cool aspects to 
to that role. I mean, all the things you probably learned, mm-hmm. all the different interests that were probably peaked through your work, which is really a beautiful thing. I mean, from that point, w- w- where did you go on to do then? So after that, um, while I was working at Random House, I had to go to a wedding and um, I found a deal on something called Gilt, which is basically like a luxury goods Groupon. Uh, and it's broken down by city. So for New York, I went on their guilt and I scored a deal on a bespoke suit, like a, a handmade suit for this wedding. And uh, this young tailor came to my house, measured me, and we hit it off and became friends. And I noticed he didn't have a website. After I got my suit, I was really excited and I wanted to promote him. And because I've been in media for so long, I, I know people at, at Glossy Magazines. And so I, you know, I'm at heart kind of a marketer. It was my current role as well. And so um, was un- I was unable to get him attention because he didn't have a website. So nights and weekends, I worked to build a website for his company. And when that was done, I pulled a few strings and, and we worked our way into the New York Times Thanksgiving edition uh, because this company is called Bindle and Keep focuses on LGBTQ uh, clientele. We made suits for everyone, but we were a hit uh, with the LGBTQ crowd because no one was, was serving that particular market. And from there, I finished the website, I think, five days uh, before the article came out. I pulled every favor I had. I had world-class photographer friends who I happen to know uh, through, through my uh, time in New York who worked for a suit. Everybody got a suit who did something for me. Um, and so we produced this, this beautiful website. Uh, I pulled designer friends in. We worked like super long hours to get this thing done. It looked like at the end, like we were a multi-million dollar corporation, but it really was just one guy in his apartment running out all over New York to people's houses, trying to make suits for them. And um, within the first week of having the website go live, we had 30,000 hits. Uh, Within two weeks of that, we were contacted by HBO and they uh, made a documentary about us. And what's that called? Wait, what's the documentary? It's called Suited and it's on uh, HBO. That's awesome. Yeah. What, what's the, I mean, what's the idea of what were they interested in? What was HBO interested in? So HBO was interested in, so it was uh, Lena Dunham and Jenny Connor, who are friends and, and produce a lot of material for HBO, were interested in the, the idea that clothing can change not only your perception of yourself, but how others see you and, and the different ways that that can be weighted and, and fraught and, you know, essentially resolved through empathy and through someone taking the time to get to know you and to understand your concerns about your body and about your presentation uh, to the world are. So it really was about how our work with everyone, but specifically with this community, helped people over a threshold moment in their life. Typically, a lot of our clients were, uh, were getting married. So there were political elements, there were socioeconomic elements there, uh, all kind of jumbled together in these sort of hallmark moments in your life. When you wear a suit, I mean, I wear a suit all the time, not only because I have a ton of suits now, but also because I, I work in a, you know, a corporate environment. But um, in, unless you work a white collar job, you're wearing a suit to a funeral or to a wedding or to a special event. And those events are typically just major turning points in your life. And so what are the different stories of people coming to that? And um, over the course of my time there, where I was the, uh, the COO and the creative director and did all of the marketing and, and so forth, uh, we expanded that program to make suits for the Innocence Project, which I don't know if you're familiar with that, but the Innocence Project is an organization based in New York that uses DNA evidence to clear wrongfully convicted people. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm yeah. definitely familiar with that. Yeah. 
so uh, my wife, who is a tailor who also worked at the, at the company, she reached out to the Innocence Project and she started this relationship with them where we would make free suits for people once they had been exonerated. Uh, when you go into prison, they take away your clothes, they take away your name, and they take away your face, kind of. You just become a prisoner. You become literally a number. This is terrible, but it's particularly galling if, if you are innocent. And so what we wanted to do was, was to allow people to have a way to come back into their life a bridge back into their into their selves and to give them something they had been, not only been cheated out of, but to give them something better than, than what they had ever had before, to have someone really listen to them and, and care for them. So it's, again, it's about empathy. Um, so that's that's that was some of the work. So I worked there. I did that for four years. Uh, my wife and I worked together there, which was a phenomenal experience. Um, I thought that, you know, I love my wife dearly, of course. I think, you know, we all love our spouses, but, and I respect her, but, the respect I had for her grew immeasurably just by working with her and just by seeing that side of her. It's, it's not always that way. I think when spouses work, work together, but I was lucky. Um, yeah. And, uh, and then we had a daughter and, and we had a, we had a, a little baby girl named Olivia. And over time, you know, Olivia grew in our apartment. And it was time, <laughs> it was time yeah. to change. So, so we began looking around and um, we ended up here in New Hampshire uh, and I took a position with, with Northeast Color, and I've been here. I will have a third. My third year anniversary will be coming up in July. So you probably take the cake of the most interesting background. Uh. <laughs> you know, perhaps it's even going to be more interesting than even the topic we're talking about today. But, but <laughs> I just think that that's, that's so fast. I'm definitely going to check out that documentary. How was it received on HBO? Was it well received? Oh yeah, yeah. It was well. It was it was well received. It went to Sundance. I will warn you: you will only see me in a part of it. You know, because I'm a behind the scenes guy. The narrative is about the founder and his and his partner. Yeah, no, yeah. Rep. So I think that's cool, though. So don't yeah. get disappointed when you don't see a whole bunch of me. Uh, but yeah, it's it's it was well received. It's a it's a well it's a well loved um, documentary. It took you know almost. A year and a half, I think, to film. Uh, but it was interesting to get to work with all of the people um, at HBO and, and to really help coordinate um, such an impactful an impactful piece. And it's it's really about seeing the change that that your actions can bring to another person's life when you when you listen and and treat people with dignity. It's it's quite a powerful thing, and um, and I'm I, you know I'm very pleased to have been a part of that. I love that. And it says a lot about you, you know, as a person too. And so you, you moved to New Hampshire, you moved the family, your family's expanding, it's growing. What leads you to Northeast color? I mean, it just, I mean, obviously you've got this background, you've got this background in publishing and journalism and fashion and photography. And so that seems like, obviously that would fit well in, in a lot of different industries, a lot of different companies. What kind of, how did you get connected with Northeast Color? Well, uh, so we have family and friends, you know, that, that are associated with, with the company that uh, we, my wife has family up here. And so whenever we would come up to visit, I have a best friend who lives in Maine. Uh, we have family here in New Hampshire. Um, and whenever we would come up, we would connect with a friend of ours named Yolmar Dijkstra, who's a Dutchman uh, and just happens to be uh, the president of Northeast Color. And uh, our families are, are good friends. And so over the course of me getting involved with the suit company, we would come up to, to the Northeast and, and when we would visit, we would see them. And we would always be talking business because he was pushing the company in his own way and I was pushing uh, Bindle and Keep in, in my own way. And so we would have these really like wonderful discussions and just 
brainstorm with each other and, and throw stuff at the wall. And, and it came to, it became a, a very valuable sounding board for, for both of us. And so when, when we were starting to think about it might be time to leave uh, New York, I had a few job offers in New York, which were, you know, cool and interesting. And they, and if any of the people that were looking forward to working were to hear this, I, I would have taken any of those opportunities in a heartbeat. But what I needed is a life-work balance. And that was something that, that was going to, I think, be a little bit easier to achieve here in, in New Hampshire than if I had stayed in New York. So uh, it was, you know, friends, family, all of it kind of indicated that this was the right way to go. So I, when it was time to, to consider leaving New York, I called Yomar and let him know what I was thinking. And he said, that's interesting. And a few days later, we had another conversation. And then... Know, more and it built and I started writing a job description for myself and started writing a marketing plan for the company and then you know one thing led to another and that's that's usually how kind of I think my work life has gone and, and to your point of it being really interesting what I've noticed in my life is that I have a thing that I do during the day which is a job and then I have stuff that I do at the night um, and that thing I whatever it is I work on at night tends to become the next thing I do in my life um, when we were living in New York at first before my wife and I worked together uh, she was working at um, bars and things like that. So I would come home from Random House and we would, you know, hang out and have a little dinner and then she would go to work and I would take over the apartment and I would just work until she came home on some other thing. And so Northeast Color became the thing I started doing at night. And then it became the thing I do during the day. Um, so in terms of it fitting within my, my work background, it's pretty interesting because what, what Northeast Color does is, is we produce branded interiors for the franchise industry, which means that we work with our, with our clients, uh, which are franchisors across all these different verticals. We work with our franchisor clients at the, at the corporate level to determine all of the branded elements that need to go into one of their locations to really deliver on a consistent branded experience. Well, so, so let me pause there for a second because tell me about that. You know, I work with a lot of franchisors. Mm -hmm. The term branding and branded mm -hmm. and brand gets thrown around all over the place. And tell me from, you know, an industry expert like yourself, if I'm a franchisor and I want to brand myself, I mean, what what does that really mean? I mean, we all have an idea of what that mm -hmm. means, but what are some of the like intricacies of a company that like Northeast Color, which you guys can do, where you can then take a business that has some identity associated with it could that could be called a brand or not be called a brand, mm -hmm. and then formulate that into the aspirational brand that the company desires. Because obviously that's huge. That's important. I think there's a whole, I mean, I, I feel like we could talk for a long time about the crossover between branding and marketing mm -hmm. and advertising. And now it's all kind of rolled into one, but you know, your brand, who you are, who, what you stand for, what people think of when they think of mm -hmm. you, that's vital to your franchise. That's vital to uh, your growth as a franchise. Can you talk about the intricacies of that? Cause I know a lot, of, you know, a lot of business people talk about that, but they don't really, all they know is, yeah, I sort of built this company and here's what people think of. Right. I yeah. Mean, the word branding, it's, yeah, it is, it is a buzzword. And I think that's a great question, Josh. The answer is, if you, if you don't mind, I'm going to take a little bit of a long walk around the barn. In, in short, you know, franchising is all about a consistent experience. That's, that's the point, right? So if you walk into a Starbucks or a McDonald's or a Planet Fitness in, in Tallahassee, it should feel exactly the same as it would feel in New York City. 
it should look and feel the same. So a branded experience, that's, that's everything from the front door in. And that's, that's more than just the product or service you offer. In fact, those, those are important. And that's what ostensibly you think your client is, is there for. Absolutely. But what keeps them coming back is the experience in a sense and the connection that they have with your brand and the way that they feel about it. And that's thousand little things that are so ephemeral and so nuanced that you can't control all of them, right? So like you can train a person to make a hamburger. You could train somebody how to guide someone through all of the different um, potential, you know, clothing options they might have if, if you're a retail store or all of the different services. But that person may not execute may not deliver the brand experience that you're looking for. So how could you stay within your zone of, of influence and, and really have the right training in place that you deliver on the brand experience with your staff and you can have the right uh, supply chain in order so you can have your product or service come together the way that you want. But if somebody is standing in your location and they look around and they look and this sign on the wall is about to fall down or has a, or looks like it's been faded by the sun for three years, or in the corner of the room, a little bit of wall covering is, is starting to peel down. That there, those little sort of almost out of the corner of your eye perceptions are going to affect their experience of your brand in a way that they may not even be aware of at that time. So what we think, and that's what we think about is really the empathy and putting ourselves in that, in that client journey and looking at the customer as he walks in through the front door from a decor standpoint, from exclusively what you can see as branded elements in the location, how can we take what the franchisor is, is trying to accomplish, what they want to communicate? And we have you know, clients in um, fitness and retail and health um, and education, all these different verticals, they all have to do the same thing. Even though they're pr providing all these different products and services, such an array of different ways to, to you know, offer something to someone, it all, it all can make be made or broke sort of by something out of the corner of your eye that you didn't like, something that, that said that you didn't necessarily care enough about this location to keep it looking the way that it should. And so what we do is we, we, we work with the franchisor to kind of identify what are those pieces that really impact the brand experience for you from a, from a decor standpoint, from, from an interior standpoint. So one of our clients is Planet Fitness. And their decor has a lot of just vibrant gears and bright colors, and and it's it's like the purple and yellow. Correct. Right? Yes. Yeah. And we've they've been our clients for years, so we've actually helped them. Uh, we've co-evolved with them to help them sort of grow their interior into what they consider and what we also agree to be a judgment-free zone. That Planet Fitness is saying when you come here, you're here to have fun and to exercise and to not be judged and that, that they believe in their mission statement that everyone is welcome. So the decor has to reflect that vibrancy and that openness and that, that welcome feeling. There are other fitness you know, concepts that are maybe um, more on the higher end, a luxury end where, where, where the going to the gym isn't necessarily about the same thing that a Planet Fitness experience would be. And so in a sense, like creating something that really works for that client. And we spend a lot of time in the discovery phase talking with our clients about exactly how can we make this impactful for you. So it's, it's more than just we're going to print this or we're going to fabricate this. 
Um, and I should also I should also mention at this point, you know, I would be remiss not to to like, what does it actually mean? What do we actually sell? What's in that package, right? So um, whether it's uh, you know wall covering, which which we which we digitally print and brand and install, or illuminated logos, or signage, or digital signage, we work with the franchisor to develop a package, right? So what is what is essentially everything that needs to go in this location to to make it a Planet Fitness, to make it a Huntington Learning Center, to make it a Postal Connections, to make it a California Tortilla. What is What are those key elements? And then we create prototypes, go through different materials, and ultimately at the end of our discovery and back and forth phase, we come out with a package, like a suite of products that we uh, manufacture, kit, ship, and install. It all kind of culminates into a location in a box which the franchisors is, is, is excited about because one, they know that there's going to be that brand consistency, right? Everything is going to come out of our machines, exclusively our machines. It's going to be made exactly the same way every time. Again, there's consistency. That's the whole name of the game in franchising. Two, the franchisor appreciates that, that we're able to bring value to them. So when we're working with a new client, we have clients that have thousands of locations and, and clients that have hundreds of locations. And their ambitions in terms of, you know, how many new locations they want to open, how many retrofits they want to do, um, we're able to uh, identify that in our discovery phase and really deliver value by volume pricing our products based on how how many locations they they think that they're going to open per quarter or per year, depending on the conversation. Do you have minimums? I mean, do you have do you have minimums in terms of if you don't have you know, 50 locations or more or something like that, then it's probably not going to be make economic sense to work with Northeast Color? That's a good question. And, and there are some clients that we've had conversations with where we're not the right fit for them. Um, the minimum volume really, it varies because, again, our products are so are so different. There are, We have some clients that we only make one element for, for example, but they have many locations that need this element or, or there's something about this client where we're able to really deliver for them something they couldn't get anywhere else. The thing that we're looking for is one, can we help and can we really make a difference? And is there value there for both of us? Um, we're not a job shop. We're not like a local printer. So if someone came to us and just wanted to buy like a single you know, logo or a single channel sign, um, we would talk them through that and then direct them to another, to another supplier. That, that would be able to do that for them. Um, but there's no hard and fast number to answer your question. Well, and so do you, when you're working with these franchisors, the idea obviously is to build brand consistency uh, and to build brand, other branding elements that uh, become recognized, you mm -hmm. know, um, the Planet Fitness purple and yellow, as I mentioned. I mean, mm -hmm. I had no idea you guys worked with them. I had no idea you could mention that, but I just remember purple and yellow, right? Because mm -hmm. it sticks out as consistent. A lot of people, you know, they want to build that consistency, but they also don't want things to just become generic. I mean, mm -hmm. how do you build a brand that's consistent and vibrant, yet not generic, so that it keeps in part uh, some local elements to it while also maintaining that brand consistency? Well, that's a great question. I mean, it kind of depends on the product. So if we're talking about, you know, really becoming locally targeted. So we, we have a client where they were looking to do a lot of retrofits, which is a big piece for us. Two of our main uh, opportunities when, when working with clients are one, new locations and two, retrofits. So if you're a mature franchise, you've been around for a long time, 
you've tried a bunch of different branding things. Your network is going to have some more progressive franchisees and some that are more, you know, holding on to whatever they originally got five years ago. So how do we essentially get everyone on board? And it has to do with exactly what you're talking about, where for one of our clients, it was very important that, that they, had a, they had a large network and it was important that we were very sensitive to, to many of their existing and legacy franchisees. So a lot of what we do is after we figure it out exactly what some of the stuff is going to be with the franchisor, we go to the franchisee and we're able to communicate to them that we're going to be able to do certain customizations for you. One in the physical location, not every, not every space is the same. So one, there's, there's a little bit of uh, wiggle room we need there, particularly when we're dealing with wall coverings. But to create that, that unique element, we've, we devised for one of our clients a system of, of creating a wall covering mural. That, that would be able to incorporate certain elements of that local uh, scene. So, so for example, uh, we, we identified for one of these murals, you would take uh, one sports team element, one first responder element, one um, landscape right element. It's the courthouse or it's the bridge. And then by taking those different elements and, and finding you know, images that we could use from Google and then turn them into rasterized um, or I'm sorry, vectorized images, which means that they're essentially sort of minimalist illustrations. Um, we were able to then take all of these different images that had different uh, qualities and resolutions and really standardize them within the brand color and, and within a, an aesthetic style that could be replicated and yet customized over and over again. So each location can have its own sort of you know, local hero wall but it's still going to aesthetically look the same. It's still aesthetically going to fit within the brand colors and within uh, you know, the general brand guidelines. Well, and in the midst of what we're dealing with right now, right? I mean, it's fascinating to think about you know, a company um, that you're a part of with Northeast Color and sort of what they do in terms of the, the branding, the images um, that, that really inform and help in the marketing of businesses. Talk a little bit because it's relevant to the time frame we're in right now with COVID-19 and these brands, what are you guys doing to work with clients on how their brands are being tweaked, are being changed, are being optimized, whatever the case may be, for not only getting through this period that we're in right now, but what's it going to look like a year from now or two years from now? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question, Josh. I think so... It's, it's again, it's a new world. It, it feels like years ago we, that we met in, uh, in February, but, but it is a new world and, and there will be another world after this. That's, that's, that's an important thing to remember is that, that we really are in, a, in an open space right now. And, and I think my understanding, the way, that I'm, the way that I'm seeing people react to it and everything that I'm reading is that people don't expect their government, be it city, local or state, um, you know, or federal to, to be able to do everything that, that they're going to need to bring this, to bridge to the next new normal, right? And brands are going to have a big, big role to play in this. And, it, and, and it's kind of a, a really interesting moment, I think, in franchising, because although it's very scary and there's a lot of economic distress right now, um, we deal, Northeast Color deals with public-facing uh, establishments, we're bricks and mortar, you know? So like if the public is under quarantine right now, 
we have to work with brands to help build that bridge that is going to help people feel like it's safe to leave their house and go to a gym again. And so what we are really going to be able to do with brands and what we're working with actually Planet Fitness right now is very, very positive and very, I think, um, thoughtful about how they're going to address that from an interior standpoint. Because, you know, brands don't need signs right now. They need strategies. Uh, it, that, and that strategy will manifest as signage and as interior decor that, that is going to be able to communicate to their clients that there is a commitment to their safety. Um, that brands have an ability right now through their interiors to, through, you know, for Planet Fitness, we're helping them design floor uh, decals that help identify social distance spaces, that uh, help identify um, cleaning stations throughout their gyms. So that when you, when people, when this is, you know, ready to go and people can start resuming their normal life together, we're going to have to see the public space in a different way and and you're going to want to believe in a brand and to believe that that brand has taken consideration and that brand is following guidelines from the cdc and that that brand has done its due diligence and you're not going to be able to communicate that to your clients just by sticking your logo in a template and printing it out on a sheet of paper or whatever and I, I think that people are going to be looking for brands to help create that safe space and to really help build that bridge. Uh, you're going to see, I think, a variance between um, the way that, you know, Florida's is going to open up soon. New York will not be opening up soon. Going into a gym that has the same standards of cleanliness, that has the same standards of, of care and thought, in, and to know that it's going to be the same in both places that that brand has your best interest at heart and that they can actually police that space, that they can, that they can hold to those guidelines, being able to communicate that I think will be key and will be helpful to rebuild public space through the public trust that has already been built by those brands. And I think it's a great time to, for brands to look at that public trust and say, why, why does the public trust me? What does that mean? And how can I deliver on that now in this time we all need to feel normalcy. It's going to feel weird, but how can I create a bridge from here to there with, with my space? I hope that answers your question. No, it does. I mean, it does. And thank you for that. Um, as sort of a final thought on this um, before we end the interview, what, what is something that makes Northeast color stick out to you? I mean, obviously there are, there's a whole bunch of variety of different types of branding companies out there. Obviously it's different that you work specifically with franchisors, but but what is it innately that is different about Northeast Color that perhaps is is something that um you will want folks to know who are who are contemplating these type of services. Yeah, I mean I would say that we really develop custom solutions for our client. A lot of it has to do with with listening. It's the discovery phase to really understand our clients and their pain points. And to be able to take the time to go through their client journey, uh, you know, everything that we do within the interior branding uh, piece of, of it isn't exclusively just about, I have these signs or I know these materials and I'm going to try to sell you something I already have on my shelf. Northeast Color, we, we take that discovery phase and understanding your pain points and what it's like to go to your location. You know, so whenever we have a new client or we're starting to talk with a new client, you know, 
I'm zipping around the country. I'm, I'm actually going to those locations. We take a lot of location photos, sometimes without the client, just so we can start brainstorming on this and understanding what it's like to walk through their space, understanding what it's like to empathetically be one of their clients. I don't sell wall covering or signs. That's not my job. I, I produce solutions. We make solutions. It's not about the product. It really is about the relationship. And that may sound like marketing, but it's really true because if I just try to sell one of my clients something that I have on the shelf that doesn't fit their needs, I've done the opposite of my job. I've, I've simply- Well, it's a commodity at that point. Exactly. It's just a commodity. It's just, hey, you know, uh, can I get this from Northeast Color or can I get it from the six other companies and what's the cheapest cost? There's nothing more to it if that's all it is. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's our distinguishing mark, I would say. It's the, it's the relationship, the conversation, um, the time we take to understand what really is happening with your brand and with your clients. Because we work in so many different verticals. And, and as I said, you know, I, I have this diverse work background and, and I've done a bunch of different things. This job gives me a passport to so many different industries, so many different businesses, and so many different lives. And the through line is that each one of them has a brand that they've spent so much time developing clientele products services everything they've given their lives to this entity to their job to their brand and and i take that very seriously if you're going to put that in in our hands i have to understand that and i have to execute on and, and really honor that that work that you put into it and that's very sincere so that that i think would be a distinction well thank you derek for coming on it's truly been a pleasure to to reconnect with you if anybody wants to learn more about Northeast Keller, you can go to northeastkeller.com. Mm-hmm. You can find them on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. And you can also um, you know, email Derek, if you'd like, at, at dableman at northeastkeller.com. That's D as in Derek, <laughs> A, B as in boy, L-E-M-A-N, at northeastkeller.com. Dableman at northeastkeller.com. Thank you so much, Derek. You, you truly you. bring a um, not only a unique perspective, but a very interesting one and a very thoughtful one to not only Northeast Color, but to the whole work that you do. And I think that really shines through. So, so thank you for that. Thank and uh, best of luck to you as you continue on this journey with your family and with, uh, with Northeast Colors. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, John. Thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of Franchise Euphoria. If you enjoyed this episode or have enjoyed the podcast in general, I would really appreciate it if you could go to iTunes and leave me a rating and review. It really helps to get this podcast out to more and more people. So the easy way to do it is go to iTunes and in the search box, put in Franchise Euphoria. You will then see my cover art and you click on my smiling face that says Franchise Euphoria and then click on the link that says ratings and reviews. It's that simple, but boy, oh boy, does it mean the world to me when people leave ratings and reviews. And like I said, it really helps get the show out there. Once again, would love it if you would go to iTunes and leave a rating and review if you enjoyed this episode or other episodes of the show. And until the next time, happy franchising.